Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market Podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. If You Market Podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Elizabeth Bachman about presentation skills. Elizabeth is a professional speaker, uh, presentation skill trainer, and host of the Speakers Who Get Results podcast. Thanks for coming on and uh, joining us today, Elizabeth. Thanks, Sky. I'm delighted to be here. So presentation skills... Let's jump straight into this. Can you give an overview for the listeners of what kind of what, what that means, what you mean by that? Well, that is, people tend to think that it's about standing up and making a speech, but actually it's how you show up anywhere, whether you are, um, whether you're in front of 500 people or in a meeting or, um, and I'm talking about presentation skills in business. So it's speaking plus how do you show up? All right. So it's how you present yourself, including the physical, the verbal kind of everything. Exactly. Because actually only 7% of what people perceive about you comes from your words. The other 93% is who you are in the room. You, how you look, how you sound, how you present. It's all, all the nonverbal cues that you're giving. Interesting. So people originally looking at this and coming in to listen are probably thinking, okay, this is going to be how to get up and do the Steve, Steve Jobs pitch. And I'm sure all that would be included in presentation skills. But you're saying, no, this isn't how to write your script and study it and all that necessarily. Maybe that's part of it. But a lot of it is your room feel, kind of what's your presence in the room when you walk in, the people know that, you know, do you have that aura around you kind of? Is that exactly. a lot of it? It's how can you present with charisma and confidence? Uh, one of the things, my company is called Strategic Speaking for Results. And what I do is help people get the results they need when they make a presentation, uh, basically a verbal presentation, whether that's online or live, uh, if you're out there speaking. And there are so many facets to it. It's fascinating. I'm just endlessly, uh, in endlessly finding new ways to do this because it breaks down into strategy, script, and style. Those are the the three buckets that uh, that everything falls into. Which is, if you're going to speak to get a result, say you're uh, you're a manager and you're trying to inspire your team, or maybe you're a manager and you're managing up by speaking to upper management to get them to approve the budget you want so that your team can do what you want to do. Maybe it's a job interview. Maybe it's a pro bono speech that's also going to position you. There's all sorts of ways to be visible. And so you have to figure out what it is you want and who needs to hear you. And then when they hear you, what do you want them to think or what action do you want them to take? And, uh, and then once you've figured that out, then you write the script that will, that your ideal listeners in a format that your ideal listeners can take in because, uh, and there's, there's a lot more, lots more to say about that. And then right. once you know what you're going to say, then um, how you say it, as we were saying earlier, is so important. So that's the presentation kind of what's your cadence, what's your volume, all that kind of stuff. Or? I call it the melody of your message. 
So I come from 30 plus years in the opera world. And before that, I was an actor from the age of five. So, uh, so you know, my, my background is being on stage. And how the, the melody of your message is not just the vocal value variations, or are you speaking high or low or whatever, but it's also tempo, pacing, clarity. You know, right. the, old, the, art, the old art of diction is one of those things, especially because nowadays we are in a global business world. So the chances are very good that you are, if you're presenting in English, you are presenting to people for whom English is their second or third language. So you want to make sure that you are speaking clearly, not too fast, pronouncing things. And if English is your second, if you're presenting in English and it's not your first language, it's maybe your second or third, even more so, you have to make sure that you are clear. Right. If your accent is so so thick, it's hard for people to understand your words, that can be a barrier to, a huge barrier, right? Yeah, well, people just tune you out. If, right. they're, if they're still stuck on what was it that she said, <laughs> they'll just tune out and they'll miss the content that you're trying to So people transmit. are struggling to understand what the words are, whether it's a non-English accent or you have a very thick, you know, Cajun accent, you're from Louisiana or exactly. a hillbilly accent or whatever it is, or you mumble or slur your words a lot. And um, yeah. just basically I've... getting the words across is important. I remember in college, I had uh, in the dorm room next to mine was a girl from Mississippi and a girl from Maine. So I was on the girls floor of that dorm and they would have me come translate because the girl from Maine had a very thick accent and the girl from Mississippi had a very thick accent and they had a hard time talking to each other. That's funny. I would imagine eventually they became each other's translators. I had yes. a friend in college from India and we spoke regularly and initially I had a very hard time understanding him. But then I got used to, oh, this, you know, I was able to translate his very thick accent. And so when we'd talk to people frequently, I would be his, he would talk and then I would say, oh, here's what he, this is, you know, you're missing this, you're missing that. Because I knew other people couldn't understand a lot of what he was saying without that translation that I'd gotten used to. So I suppose he wouldn't have been a great speaker at the time in English. People can't understand a lot of what he's saying. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting, thank you for, for doing that, for having done that sort of thing. What happens is the brain adapts to patterns. And um, I tend to think in patterns. That's one of the things that makes me, that interests me. The, the brain adapts to patterns. So once you get used to the way somebody speaks, then you can hear the content of what they have to say. And another thing I remember, you know, one of the things about working in the opera for 35 years is we had international, uh, international singers. So we were regularly working in international situations. And um, in opera, the three main languages are English, Italian, or German. And so you get together on the first day of rehearsal and and decide what's your language going to be. What's the what's the common language that we mostly understand? And 
you know, and most of the time, it will be a second or third language for somebody. So you get used to adapting, the, the ear gets used to it. The key is when you're not used to it, then if you're speaking to people who aren't used to your kind of English or your kind of accent, they won't, they won't be able to hear the content of what you have to say. Yeah. Speaking, after all, is a physical act. It's one of these things that people forget that, but you have to train your lips and teeth to pronounce things correctly. I think if you listen back to some of the early podcasts here, you could see that I was not aware speaking was a physical act. And uh, there are professional speakers, not like, I mean, you're a professional speaker, but like voiceover people. I've listened to some of them when I was trying to get better at speaking on a podcast because I'd hear myself and say, oh, wow, I'm not, people can't understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm stumbling, mumbling through words um, and, and whatnot. And the whole voiceover industry is, is fascinating how deep, it goes just to get the words clearly across for these people who do it professionally. Um, it's, it's amazing how much is there. So today we're going to try to touch on as much as we can about presentation skills. Cool. We're, we're not going to get to a ton, I'm sure. The good news for the listeners is um, we have a professional speaker on that has her own podcast. And I imagine you guys talk regularly about professional speaking and presentation skills. So if you like what you're hearing Elizabeth saying here, you can go listen to her podcast and get a ton more of it where she you know, probably covers everything we're not able to get to eventually. Well, actually, and one other, the other piece is that a lot of my, of my podcast, the Speakers Who Get Results podcast, is about the leadership skills behind speaking. Because in order to step out as a speaker, you have to declare that you are a leader. You have to claim your space and claim your voice. And often it's the leadership skills behind the, okay, I'll be the one who speaks, that, uh, that's the most important. That's really a big Interesting. Fundamental part. So if you have Ben Stein and you have Tom Cruise at a party, you say, <laughs> which one is going to be the life of the party and be holding court, let's say? That's kind of uh, something you could practice almost is going to a party. And if you want to practice your presentation skills and your speaking skills, try to be the person that draws people around to talking versus, you know, quietly at the snack table. I actually have exercises for that. So, <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Hopefully we can get to some of that. Again, this is a long podcast, but it, it's short for covering everything. Obviously, you have a whole podcast dedicated just to this. Um, so I will, we'll touch on that at the end again and let people know how to, uh, how to find you and your podcast, include links in the show notes and everything. But let's try to get just power through as much as we can here. Would you like to stick to the structure of the strategy script style that you'd mentioned? Oh, well, I could certainly say a little bit more about that uh, strategy. As I said earlier, you have to know where you're trying to go before you go anywhere. And what gets people in trouble is if they just get up and start to speak, especially people who don't like to be stuck in a box where they say, oh, if I have to follow a script, I'll be trapped. I won't be spontaneous. Right. We improv on this show, but 
I've got a strict structure. I've got bullet points. I've got, so we don't get lost and randomly just bounce around too much. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's important to be able to, uh, to know more or less where you're going. I like to think of it like jazz. If you, you know, a jazz, say you're, you're going to do, oh, someone to watch over me, for instance, you know, lovely tune. And there is lots of room for improvisation, but you still keep the basic melody. And I should say, you have a clear beginning and a clear ending. That's important. You've got the clear beginning to get people's attention and, and then a clear ending to single, signal that now we're done, you can applaud now. Because people, people want to know when it's over and they want to be able to applaud. And, and one of the things that really will kill a speech is somebody delivers this great final line and then they keep on going. And or I or they, seen... they think they deliver it, but the audience didn't know it. They're sitting there like, oh, was that, now do we? Yeah, like that's part of the enough. melody of the message. If you're going to have, it's just like in music, you're going to have bum, 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 bum. And, uh, and you've got, that sort of sets us up. We know that in Western music, that's leading the cadence that leads to the end. But if you're not, if you don't finish it, you've set up an expectation and then you don't finish it or you go bum, 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 ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. You can picture almost any song and think about the end and just think if they stop a couple bars short in a live performance and the band just raises their hands in the air, like the audience would be very confused. They would know yeah. like, are we supposed to applaud? Because obviously you're not done yet. Uh, you stop yes. mid-sentence in your, I guess, final line, and then we're just supposed to applaud. Um, or you think they're done, and then they keep on going. And that's usually insecurity that makes that happen. So um, the practice will fix it. But that's one of the things that people like me help people with is, you know, yeah. trust, trust that your final line, you want a good final line, because that's what people will remember. And then trust that it will be okay. Anybody who listens to enough of these podcasts with me will see that insecurity in, in my talking because I frequently will ask the question and then I will roll on on it for another two minutes asking it in five other ways <laughs> instead of just letting you answer. I'm working on that and hopefully this, uh, this episode will help me a lot. So that sounds like that covers some of the strategy and script also in having some form of structure. So even if you're not writing out every single word and then memorizing the whole script or reading off a teleprompter or whatever it is, you have to have some structure built in so you know where you're going, you know what points you're hitting on, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And the other thing is managing time. So in America and Western Europe, you are expected to start and end on time. Now, Brazil and India and companies like countries like that it's not so important but so countries where they observe the stoplights you're expected to start and end on time Company, <laughs> well, countries where they don't you can just run around and show up whenever. sure <laughs> well, it's it's sort of it's a cultural attitude towards time but another thing is that if you are speaking to get a result you 
you know what you want to ask at the end. What do you want them to do? What's your call to action? So the important part, this is the script, is figure out what's your conclusion and work backwards. Where people get in trouble is speakers, I've seen this happen a million times, is a speaker will get up and they'll start talking and then they get off on kind of a tangent and they run out of time to actually ask for the sale or ask right. for, or say their, say their fabulous final line that's have people go, wow, I want to know more about that. I've um, seen that is, a lot in uh, startup presentations. People will put this presentation together. They're at some event where you're supposed to be pitching and they don't manage their time well enough. And so they spend a lot of time on some nuts and bolts things and then they never get to finish the pitch, which is really uh -huh. dead. It's like telling a joke and then forgetting the punchline. Exactly, exactly. And one of the things that happens, uh, one of the reasons why the pitch contests do that is to force people to learn. And the first few times, and quite often you have to pay to be part of those pitches. So the first few times you blow it, then uh, you learn. That's how you learn. Right. That's, also in life, you don't get to, in a professional setting, just do what you want, when you want, for as long as, you, like you're saying, you have to obey the stop and go signs. Yeah. I like to think of it as the difference between a stopwatch and a timer. So everybody's got a countdown timer and a stopwatch on their phone these days. A stopwatch is when you, you get up and you just start talking and you talk until you're done, which is fine if you're telling a story around a campfire. But if you think of your speech as a countdown timer, so you know how much time, you always want to know how much time it's gonna take you to do your call to action and your most exciting talking point that leads into your call to action, then, um, then you never skimp on that. Right. You never want to skimp on the end. You want to have the end really polished and good. Also, if that's about asking for money and it's any kind of enrollment call, any kind of sales pitch, if you, that's when you're likely to be nervous so you really, that's, I believe in memorizing your beginning and your ending, because those are the two times you're likely to be nervous. And then you can improvise in between. But if you, if you need to cut the time short, you know, say you're running a little long, you want to cut the, you want to skip in the middle and always leave enough time to do the end right. Nice. So when you're practicing giving a present, let's assume we're doing a presentation at an event, something like that, where you're going to practice it. It's not a cocktail party and you're just trying to rally people around to listen to you for practice. Um, when you're practicing, if you start at the beginning in practice and you don't always make it through to the end in your practice sessions, um, that's a big mistake. It seems like you might want to practice in chunks, practice the beginning, practice the end so that you're not tied down to the straight through. And also you make sure you practice the ending more than the rest of it. Maybe since, yeah, that absolutely punchline is the most important. Actually, you know, one of the great ways to learn things is to do the end and then add the part just before that and do the whole thing through to the end. Uh, I actually, one of my between opera jobs, temp gigs, 
there was uh, about a year where I sold a language program. I was a telemarketer. Um, I never want to do that again. That was a horrible job, but I learned a lot. And this whole language system was all about, they would, you'd say the last three lines or the last three words, the last phrase, and then you put the beginning of the sentence and then you put the beginning of the sentence before that so that you could learn how to say something in a foreign language but starting at the end and then adding more at the beginning and adding more at the beginning. It is a great learning technique. The brain adapts to that very well. It also seems like if you practice your presentation out of order like that, you're going to be much more comfortable regardless of what happens during it because you don't have this mindset where it's like, I only know what comes next after this. And then if you skip something by accident, or if you need to jump forward, you're completely lost because you've mentally trained yourself to, to only do the next step kind of. Well, here's the other cool thing is that each of the, the teaching points or your, your beautiful points in your speech, these are your sound bites. So you want to make sure, for instance, my tagline is, when you want to make a difference, not just a point. I had to practice that. And I can say, strategic speaking for results. When you want to make a difference, not just a point, that tells you a little bit about who I am. I have practiced that so it flows off the tongue and is easy to say. And then you can drop that in anywhere you want. Right. You know, one, of the, one of the big problems that people get into is they, if they'll go off on a tangent because they talk, start talking about how they do what they do instead of why. This is sales 101, marketing 101. You know, you sell the benefits, not the features. Sell the sizzle, not the steak. I like to think of it as too much how, not enough why. Right. And it's really easy to forget because if you're talking about something you're excited about, it's really easy to go off onto a tangent. So you want to dig into all the features that you care about and other people. It's just kind of the foundation of it. You said something um, you, that we kind of blew over. I want to go back to it uh, just a second ago. You mentioned practicing that kind of catchphrase, if you will, to make sure it rolls off the tongue well. And uh, I, I don't want people to miss that. It seems like if you have anything that you're saying regularly, you don't want to stumble over the words that are critical. If you have a couple phrases, a couple key points you need to say, and they're wordy, it's like if you're going to really practice anything other than the ending of your presentation, make sure those words come across clearly. Exactly. Is there anything else to add to that? I mean, it seems like a single important thing I want to make sure it got highlighted. Well, actually, it's one of the things that I like to use in speaking is you look for your golden nuggets. Where are your, where are your, your nuggets that are the memorable phrases? People, a catchphrase, things that right. people will remember. I'm picturing JFK stumbling over the ask not uh, what yeah. your country can do for you line. It wouldn't, he probably practiced that a thousand times. To make I can sure guarantee he practiced. Way. And I yeah. can guarantee that the speech writers practiced, they did probably did a, a bunch of different versions until Variations they came up with something that just, that just sang. You want a phrase that will sing. 
And you so, want a whole lot of phrases that will sing. So he probably practiced a bunch of times also, hey, don't ask what we can do. No, ask not what your country, don't ask what your country can do. Exactly. And all these other kind of, how do I phrase this where it comes across to the audience I'm talking to kind of properly, cleanly, crisply. Excellent. So wow, not only do you practice that, but practice a bunch of variations until you get kind of the right one. And the other thing is you have to practice that. You find this mostly when you talk about your elevator speech, your introduction, where the thing is to do, you write it out and you write out what it is you want to say and then say it out loud. Because often your subconscious will fix it more than your conscious mind. And another really important thing that people forget is that language designed to be read is not the same as language designed to be heard. Right. So if you write it out in a proper written, like you're writing an article, and then you try to read that, it's, it's not going to sound right at all. Yeah. I work a lot with people who are, I, I tend to work with people who are really smart, and they tend to be very, they tend to be experts in something complicated. And a lot of what I do is help you rephrase a complicated thought into something that anybody can understand. And I've just recently been working with a, um, an inventor who is, she's a, a scientist, she's a medical professional, she's a professor actually, and she's invented a product that is going to do great things for the world. But in marketing the product, she's writing as if she's writing for an academic journal. Right. And she knows so much about it and cares about certain parts. She's not a marketer. It's, it's why marketers exist, because usually the yeah. people who invent the things can't really present them to the audience um, quite how they need to be. Yeah. If, if you think there used to be uh, years ago, there was a Toyota ad that was, oh, what a feeling, Toyota. And it wasn't about the cool things that the car did. It wasn't what, how the car's engine worked, anything about other. It was the feeling of driving a Toyota. Was that the one where they, I remember the Toyota jump, where they were always jumping and raising their legs at the end. Uh, could have been, could have been. It was part of my of growing up, every Toyota commercial at the end, they would jump in the air and I think say, oh, what a feeling. And there was always jump, arms out, and then they'd raise their legs at the knees so it looked like they were yep. higher. And I was just like, that's the Toyota jump. It's just, that's what it was. Anytime anybody exactly. does that jump. Well, and if you're an actor, you have to, oh, what a feeling. How do you show that feeling? Uh, I suspect that when they were first putting together that campaign, they tried a whole bunch of different ways of how the, what the actors would do till they came to the one with the jump and they said, ah, this That's is it. good. Yeah. Not the thumbs up guy, not the doing a little shoulder dance uh, thing. It'd be fascinating to know what their top 10 actions were to go with Oh, what a feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So we touched on a lot here with the strategy, with the script. We haven't really got into the style, which is super interesting to me. So I want to get to that, but I want to take a quick break first. Um, and then when we come back, anything more you want to cover on strategy and script? Absolutely. But let's spend a good amount of time on, on the style as, as, as well. Keep that in mind. We'll take this break here. We'll be right back listening to the Iffy Market podcast. We've got Elizabeth Bachman on talking about presentation skills. I kind of uh, finished that in a weird way. People are wondering if I 
ended or not. It's, it's, no, sounds fine. <laughs> sounds fine. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm Shannon Lee. I'm the director of coaching at Win Without Pitching. And if you're looking to gain confidence in your sales process, to increase your prices, to be the expert leading the sales conversations for your firm, we can help. And I would invite you to come to www.winwithoutpitching.com to learn more about how you can do that. Welcome back to the Iffy Market Podcast. We have Elizabeth Bachman here with us talking about presentation skills. Elizabeth, before the break, I said when we come back, we're going to get into style, but I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball, or you knew this was coming, so not too much of a curveball, but I want to talk about you and your company just a little bit. In the first half, opera has come up a lot, and the listeners probably don't know why. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and a little bit more about your company, how you got to where you're at? Well... I have been dedicated to the art of great communication since I first walked on stage at the age of five. And my mom said I was the best goddamn bunny rabbit to ever <laughs> grace the stage of the hillside school. And I was hooked. So I thought I was going to be a famous actress on Broadway, uh, moved from that into directing and, and directing in theater, then directing opera singers. And now I'm putting all of that together to train business professionals in how they present themselves. The thing that I loved about opera, I grew up listening to opera. So we, you know, we used to listen to the Saturday broadcasts religiously. I was also interested in languages. And when I moved to New York, after college, I realized that there were small opera companies where one could actually start. And I got, I got started, really, my first job in the opera was sweeping the stage and driving the truck. I was 50% of the staff. <laughs> Just, so, it, I did notice you're fluent in not only English, but French, Italian, German, Spanish, all kind of big opera languages. Uh-huh. Spanish mostly because I was an artistic advisor for Opera de Puerto Rico for, for many years. And, um, and then my Spanish really got good when I did a job in Argentina and they had promised a translator and they forgot. So uh, I also my, feel like if you know French, Italian, and German, Spanish might just naturally be the intersection of all those. And you just, once you learn those languages, Spanish is there also it comes with it a helps. package it, it helps a lot uh i when i first started speaking spanish it would be italian with a spanish accent but then i did actually study it although um i find that i can speak either italian or spanish but i can't go back and forth because they're so close they're so similar right. that um it i can't keep you know i can do italian and german or Spanish and French, but Italian and Spanish are so close. It's really so you have hard to kind of get into the, the mood of that language and stay in that all night. You can't at a party, go back and forth and back and forth, or you'll start mixing it up. I, you, yeah, you do mix it up. I find actually I, I can be fluent in two language tank, two languages. And then the third language, I have to slow down and think about it. So you start trying uh, to swap accents uh, back and forth and eventually you just slur them together and you're doing the wrong accent at the wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and anytime, you know, when I ran my opera company, 
in Austria. So I ran the Tyrolean Opera Program, which was a small opera company that was mostly there to train young singers. And um, we did 11 years uh, doing every summer at concerts, a summer full of concerts. And it was a group of German-speaking singers and English-speaking singers. And the idea it was a bilingual program, which means that by the end of day two, you're speaking a mishmash of, it, you just you just say whatever comes out of your mouth and uh, fundamentally I would say everything twice. Yeah. You'd say it in both languages just to cover your bases. It's exactly. funny, I was never a huge fan of opera growing up. I listened to heavy metal and uh, one of my favorite heavy metal bands was Iron Maiden. And there are some heavy metal bands that are very operatic. And I remember finding out later that some of the singers in these bands were actually trained in opera and that's mm -hmm. why they happen to sound that way uh, but i had the um the chance to live in sydney briefly in australia and go to the opera house there and and see several uh, several operas in that in, in that place in that theater and uh it, it was amazing it was it was fantastic except for i watched one french opera and it just the language barrier was was too much to enjoy it too much uh, it couldn't follow the story, and that made it difficult. Well, one of the things is opera, as as with any language, it has its expectations, what you expect it to be. And as with, just as we were talking about at the beginning of the show, where you have to learn about the way somebody communicates before you can hear the content of what they have to say. Similar to heavy metal. Heavy metal will have its assumptions and its standards, and you have to listen to, you have to get used to the way that music goes until you, before you can hear whether it's a good song or not. And it's the same thing for opera. You have to look about the, the conventions and the assumptions that underlie how it works. Right. What I loved about it was that for me, I had always liked languages. And so... It was a combination of theater, music, languages, and travel. Because from, from a young age, I had said I was going to be a citizen of the world. I wanted to be able to travel the world. It sounds like a dream job for you then, being able to go around and do this stuff. I, I suppose when I went to that particular opera, I'd seen several others, really enjoyed them. They were in English, though. And I was expecting to follow the story. If I'd went just wanting to listen to it and enjoy it, I would have enjoyed it much more. But I found myself struggling to try to follow the story instead of just listening to the beautiful opera itself. And that gets kind of back to the strategy with people and knowing, I think it was the strategy part where it's kind of, you need to know your audience. It was mm -hmm. my fault as the audience in that case. But if you're, you know, if your audience is expecting to get a certain type of message and you're coming at them with something very different, um, you're going to have this disconnect from, from the get-go. Uh, you know, I was coming in ex expecting to get a story that was done beautifully, and instead, you know, it was beautiful music, uh, but I, I had a disconnect there. Um, so I kind of wanted to tie that back to the, to the strategy part a little bit. Really quickly, can you kind of tell us how did you get from opera to your company now, and then give us a quick on what your company does? Well, I learned the art of speaking to get results when I started the Tyrolean Opera Program because I had to start an, I had to found a nonprofit and I knew I knew how to teach 
singers to be better actors. And I knew how to do that part. What I didn't realize was I was going to have to raise $100,000 to launch it. And I had been speaking to entertain for years, but this was the first time I'd had to speak to get people to open their wallets. And uh, I was terrified when I started out and I was probably pretty terrible. And what actually saved me was finding a mentor, a speaker trainer who, who came to one of, she liked opera. She came to one of my fundraisers and watched me do a terrible job and called me up the next morning and said, you know, there's some things you could do that would improve your results. And, and I went, oh, oh, you mean there's an art form called public speaking and there are techniques and tools? I thought I had to invent it all myself. And it turns out there was this whole art form that she taught me. Uh, and that saved me so that when I, I raised that $100,000 and, and then the 50000 it took to run it every year after that for 11 years, it was, uh, as I was doing that, I was also passing on what I learned with my friends in business. And the more I started doing it in business, the more I thought, ah, this combines everything. The things I've learned about business, the things I've learned about presenting, all of that. Uh, so it really seemed like the logical evolution. Right. How much easier do you think it made it for you to raise that, the first 100000 with the, the training that this friend gave you, the, the advice they gave you in, in adjusting how you were presenting yourself and, and just the overall pitch kind of? Oh, it made all the difference, all the difference, because I was doing too much how enough why, and I was not focusing. The thing we haven't said yet today is that rule one is you make it about your listeners. Who's listening? Who's the audience? What do they need? What do they want? Actually, right. what they want is more important than what they need, because they may not know what they need. So you have to address and the need what they gets want. back kind of to the, uh, then you're talking about the bits and pieces and the functions and stuff when you're covering the need versus want. Exactly. And when I focused, when I was raising money for the opera program, when I focused on what my listeners, my potential funders wanted, rather than the what and the how of what we were planning for the next year, I got a much better than people would open their wallets. Right. So instead of it being just kind of a nuts and bolts, here's where we're at, here's what we need, here's all the technical stuff. It's, hey, you love opera, right? Do you want this to continue or not? Do you want to be a part of it yourself? Do you want this to, when you exactly. look back 10 years from now, do you want to have help this happen or not? More of that kind of stuff than- uh, That's exactly it. Really what, what people wanted was to help these young singers follow their dream. Right. And help be a part of this community. Help be a part of helping these young singers blossom. Nice. Okay. And we have, and quite a few of our alumni are singing on stages around the world. So it's uh, uh, we have quite a few that have world careers. And now Not every during time, COVID right now, but yes. Every time one of those donors sees one of those people singing somewhere and they're obviously opera lovers so they're going to be aware of it 
they get to know they helped contribute to that. They help exactly. that person get to where they're at in their career. Exactly. The, the payoff uh, then gets to be very large. And I guess, so when you're pitching it, you can, you can paint that picture for them for the exactly. rest of your life. When you see some of these people singing around the world, having fantastic careers, you can say, I helped make that happen. Yeah. I look at some of the people who are stars on the world stage now who were young artists and students when I was just starting out and I was the fourth assistant from the left backstage and they were in the artist training program at the San Francisco Opera or whatever. And so, you know, we knew each other when, and I could say, oh yeah, yeah. I knew her in college or I knew her when she was an apprentice. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump really quick now to your company. We haven't really talked. I mean, everything we've been saying really is about your company, right? That's what you guys mm -hmm. do. Um, but can you give a quick, uh, let's say an elevator pitch kind of a thing on here's what we do. So what I do is if you think of, uh, you've ever seen a speaker who is really smart and they know a whole lot about something complicated, but when they have to get a result from a presentation, they have a hard time being concise or compelling. What I do is help you master a message that brings you the funding you need, the allies you want, and the recognition you deserve. Sounds, and you basically, your company trains people to do that. I train people to do that, yes. Fantastic. I train people to, to get the result that they're looking for depending on what the result is. Are most of your clients like public speakers? Do you do a lot of salespeople that just want to get a lot better at their presentation kind of? Who would you say you work with mostly? Most of my clients actually are high level women in tech um, or lawyers, tech or law, who, are, who have a seat at the table, but they still aren't being listened to. And for that, a lot of the strategy is about visibility and about dealing with unconscious bias. If you're not being listened to, it's probably partly the way you're presenting and partly what are the, what are the unconscious bias of the people who need to hear you? What do they expect? And so what we can do is you're still saying the same thing, but you say it in a way that they can take it in. Uh, for instance, uh, just a, a quick example is uh, if you are, if you're giving a marketing message to the head of finance, someone who thinks in numbers, you're going to have to include statistics and ROI and what the numbers are all about. If you're giving the same sort of speech, to a women's empowerment group, you want to talk about your mission and the heart-centered piece. You said the same sort of speech, meaning it can't be the same speech. Well, it's the same basic speech that you just emphasize different aspects of it. Right. So the same theme, but you have to... The same theme. I mean, marketing, you have a different audience. You have to have a different message to fit that audience. Yeah. And it's really, it's a who's listening and what do they want to hear? So I think maybe, I mean, I say marketing, it's, it's about the marketing, duh. Um, it's, it's maybe when people are giving speeches, they kind of tend to forget that it is basically marketing. And yes, 
your audience is going to probably be not this wide random swath of people. So you need to speak specifically to that audience. Even if you have a pre-prepared speech from another time on this topic, you, you can't, like you say, you can't do just all the nuts and bolts and stuff like that when you're in front of a completely different audience, because that's what you've practiced. You, you have to adjust it to this particular audience. And a part of the strategy is making sure you're adjusting to the audience who's going to want what you are offering. I like to think of it as enrollment and sales. If you're within a company, you're selling an idea. If you're an entrepreneur, you're selling a product or a service, you know, selling or selling the idea that they should support your company. Uh, but it's all sales and enrollment. You know, for instance, if you're in a, if you're a startup, you would be, what you pitch to an accelerator would be not the same as what you pitch to a venture capitalist or an investor. You know, VCs have different, they want different things from investors. Some of it's the same, but others are different. Right. So I guess part of the preparation <laughs> is you have to find out what those differences, what those differences are. One thing, again, I want to jump back to something you'd mentioned that I think we should touch on a little more. Um, you mentioned specifically training women, women in tech, um, that kind of thing. And I'm wondering, how are the presentation skills different for women versus men? Are they different? Um, oh. What you would need to train, because you'd mentioned the unconscious bias, the conscious bias. I saw a movie the other night, and there was a character in this movie, and she was running the company, and she's talking to someone. Um, working there, the main character, and uh, she has this wispy voice. And she says, you know, people don't take me seriously because my voice, I tried to work on it, but this is just how I talk. And um, it seems, I mean, kind of like that. Sure, she had a wispy voice. There are men who have voices that maybe don't carry very well as well. But in that case, she was basically saying, people don't take me seriously, even though I'm running this company, because of some aspect of who I am. A lot of women have the whole, you know, the baggage of there being a woman, but they're trying to get up and give this speech. And maybe some of the audience, you know, has this automatic, um, you're going to have the words better, much better than I am. So I guess take it away. Well, this is a huge topic. And uh, this is something we talk about a lot on my podcast, Speakers Who Get Results. So if I can do the short version, again, it's all about who's listening. And if you, as a woman, or as a, if you're a minority, and as men, men as minorities, it's the same sort of thing. You have to do a couple of things to justify yourself, to, to justify your credibility. People judge you no matter what. It's part of, it's part of what keeps us safe. You know, it's a, is, it, is it safe to talk to that person? Is it safe to walk down that street? Uh, you know, is it safe to... to talk to that lion or not. Uh, people are going to judge you no matter what. Where my art comes in, the, the art of communication, is to bear in mind who's listening and what their assumptions are likely to be and then, and then adjust just adjust the way you present yourself. So the way you present yourself, as I was saying, you know, the difference between the finance committee 
and the uh, and the women's empowerment group you're going to present yourself differently because of the listeners you might be saying the same stuff but you will be doing it in a slightly different fashion than you would whatever so back so, to two people i've mentioned earlier and they're both men so uh, bear with me but tom cruise and ben stein if they're both talking Tom Cruise may not have to justify why you should listen to him as much as Ben Stein, assuming nobody knows who either of them are, just based on looking mm -hmm. at them. Because, you know, one has the jawline and looks like somebody you should listen to maybe, and the other guy, unless it's a financial uh, expo or something like that, doesn't so much look like it. So you're saying basically anybody has this baggage they're coming in with based on what they look like, what they, right now I have a coronavirus mohawk that I've grown for some reason because my kids like it. So speaking to certain audiences, that is going to convey something where I may need to um, explain myself more or less. Uh, so, yeah. you're saying, so when women are speaking, they're having to unfortunately explain why the audience should be listening to them a little bit more than men would. Uh, at, it, fundamentally, yes. Although if you're speaking to a women's group, women in business, they're going right. to, then a man will have to explain himself. Depending on the audience, yes. Yeah. yeah, and some of it's cultural. It's how we are socialized as children to what do we expect. And um, in the Western world, white men have, uh, white men are sort of the symbol of power. So there are many, many, and there are, many, there are bazillion variations of this. This is a huge subject. So that was a massive generalization. We're, we're a couple minutes over on time here. And I'm like, let's get mm -hmm. into an hour long topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I guess, I mean, that's a good uh, transition to saying you guys covered this a ton in your podcast again. So, so much of what we're talking to today, we can barely touch on. Um, instead of having a 10 part series with you, Elizabeth, you do this all the time. You've got a podcast just on it. So we'll just keep deferring people to that saying, if that sounds interesting to you, there's a lot more of this on her podcast. And the, turn this episode here just into an introduction into your show um, so that, so that we, again, we don't have to do that 10 part series uh, and try to steal you for all that time. Um, I feel like we're talking a little bit about style here, which we barely touched yes, on. That's um, absolutely so style. The, yeah. the style, anything else in the last couple of minutes here, we're going to have to truncate the style part, but again, go listen to Elizabeth's podcast. Any other tips on style for people, what they should, should, shouldn't be doing? Well, the, the more you can get, you can be compelling and charismatic, the better. And it is a learned skill. So anybody can be compelling and charismatic if you didn't learn it as a kid. So if you talk about Tom Cruise versus Ben Stein, Ben Stein learned how to play off the, uh, to make comedy out of not being very charismatic. So that decided to build that, uh, to build that image. Right. Tom Cruise, as a young actor, learned how. At some point, Tom Cruise was in an acting class where they had to teach little Tom how to show up, right? And because he fits the cultural norm of what a handsome man should be, he, uh, he has to use that. And there are certain things that he is allowed to get away with as a handsome man 
but it's all been built. It's all, it doesn't mean it's, he's still a real person. He's still a human being. He has taken the time to learn the techniques. Right. People think it was random or he got lucky and he's just good looking so he can do that. Yeah. That doesn't, I remember hearing someone talking about him coming to an event one time, a party, and they said he walked in the room and there's certain people they've seen have this presence. And it wasn't just that you knew he was Tom Cruise, but he said there's there's certain people you see come in and sometimes you don't even know them, but when they walk in and you're around them, you feel their presence. And that isn't just random luck and they were bestowed with this. It's something they have almost surely worked on absolutely developed to have this presence in the room that people cannot ignore them you can't not notice them type of a thing and the thing is you can learn that that's the you know it's like being funny there are people who are funny if any comedian will tell you that anytime they're out there uh they're out there doing a show they have spent hours and hours and hours and hours practicing getting the melody if you will yeah just perfect and some people who you think are naturally funny they probably learned it in childhood it may have been a survival skill in childhood they practiced a ton without even knowing it yeah exactly so So i do believe it's all it's all something you can learn and the charisma and confidence is uh is Really, that's again ninety three percent of what people perceive about you. And I guess you get a lot more of that from practicing and learning and knowing you know what you're doing, having the structure, knowing you know where you're going, knowing you're going to remember that punchline. Well, um, the thing that the other thing is, um, there's a reason why I work with people for six month at six months at a time, and sometimes for longer than that. But it takes. This is a skill you have to practice. It's like going to the gym. You know, you can't, you're not going to be an Olympic athlete overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and believe me, if I could, I, if I had a magical elixir that would make you an, a fabulous speaker overnight, uh, I would bottle it and sell it and I'd be a bazillionaire. Because, but no, you do, you have to practice it. it well, just, luckily, it is, you do have yeah. to practice it because that means if you do learn these skills, you've separated yourself from other people. If everybody had it, there'd be no separation. Yeah. And I have one thought to leave you with, which is any kind of speech or enrollment conversation or presentation where you need to get a result, that's a sales conversation. And sales is like sex. Nothing happens till somebody gets excited. (laughs) Awesome. All right. She drops the mic. (laughs) So at that, um, let me go ahead and, uh, and finish us up here. If you guys want to find Elizabeth, uh, elizabethbachman.com. Obviously, all this will be in the show notes. Um, on LinkedIn, look for Elizabeth Bachman. Elizabeth, anywhere else people should find you? Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, but and you could find my podcast on YouTube, um, any podcast player. And give people the name of the podcast again. Speakers Who Get Results. Fantastic. Yeah. Check out speakers who get results and uh, she digs into everything that we possibly briefly mentioned here. And uh, how close will people get to being excellent speakers just from listening to your podcast? They'll be informed, but if they don't practice or put any of it into, they don't apply any of the lessons, then um, 
a step closer, but not, not there. Right. You, you'll know it exists, but you won't know how to do it kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so listen to it and then actually, uh, you know, do the work and, and you can get a lot better at this kind of stuff. All right. You can find all this on the show notes um, at ifyoumarket.com. Uh, please share us on social media. Tell a friend. If you know somebody who needs to get better at speaking, maybe share this one in particular with them. And uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Elizabeth Bachman, the host of Speakers Who Get Results, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with great presentation skills, they will come. If you're not always on the lookout for new data sources for your sales and marketing, you're just not doing your job. We've got great news for you, though. You can go to topdatasearch.com, sign up for a free Top Data Search account, and use promo code IYM500 to get 500 contact download credits. Again, that's topdatasearch.com and promo code IYM500. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.